Hello, and welcome to the Save Our Children podcast with Becky and Bridget. Parenting in a red-pilled world can be difficult. Bridget and I are here to discuss the current issues plaguing our children, bring awareness to difficult topics, and give some guidance on how to talk to your kids to help keep them safe. This podcast is in no way giving parenting or counseling advice or telling you how to raise your children. We believe that you know your babies best. Our intention is to have difficult conversations that open dialogue with your kids to prepare them for what could potentially face them beyond our protection. Join us now to help save our children. Hello, welcome to the Save Our Children podcast. We're your hosts, Becky and Bridget. We are so incredibly excited to welcome back our very first podcast guest, Jeremy Indica. There are so many incredible projects that Jeremy has been working on over the past seven months, and we are grateful that he's here to share them with us. If you didn't listen to the first episode with Jeremy, which is episode five, please go back and listen to that one as we're going to jump right into where he has been since. Um, Hey, Jeremy, how's it going? Yeah, I'm well. Thank you so much. It's so incredible to be back on and hear all the work you've been doing and have a think about where we all were when we recorded that first episode. It's encouraging for us, I think. Exactly. The last time that we chatted, you had just posted that you um, had knocked on your abuser's door. A few things have happened <laughs> since then. What What's been going on? So since knocking on my abuser's door to confront him, I went through the court process because he actually went to prosecute me for doing that. And the charges were stalking for finding out where he lives, harassment for continually trying to get him to meet me, and assault for pushing the door into him when he went to try to slam it in my face. I went to court three times. I pleaded not guilty to all the charges. And the final court hearing was an intense one. He was there, and so was everybody else that was involved. And we all were questioned in the dock. And the day started pretty badly because I felt like everybody in the courtroom, all the courtroom officials, were looking at me like all the other... Sorry, were looking at me like I was the criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had kind of grouped me with all the other people who get convicted in that courtroom. And that's how I felt, and that's how my barrister felt. So we knew we had an uphill struggle that day. But as the day went on, and he was questioned in the dock and crumbled, he absolutely cracked Um, He couldn't get his words out. I mean, it was just, I felt embarrassed for him in some way. I was thinking in my my mind, come on, this is like a massive day for you. You need to come with your A game. And like, Mm -hmm. he just didn't seem to, he just didn't seem to have anything, didn't seem to have his things together, you know? So that just gave me the strength that when it was my turn to stand in the dock, that I stood strong answered the questions honestly and truthfully I had nothing to hide and I really felt like I was there not just for me but I was kind of there representing everybody Mm -hmm. that 
that everybody that's in these situations trying to prosecute the people that did this to them when they were younger. And also, I felt like I was representing the people who will never get a chance to stand opposite their abuser like this. And the, 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 I felt like as the day went on and after I especially gave my answers to their questions, everybody could see that I was not, I was only telling the truth. Right, yeah. I mean, why would I lie about this guy? Why would I go to this guy's door? Why would I go to all of these lengths? And I just felt like I left that courtroom on top. Now, the verdict was, in the end, mm -hmm. I was found not guilty for stalking, not guilty for harassment. That was important because in England, the country I live in, both of those crimes are considered serious. And the third charge of assault I was found guilty for, for pushing the door into him when he went to slam it in my face, which seems so crazy. They gave me a £1,000 fine and a restriction order. Now, my barrister said, look, because I was still a little frustrated about that. And, they said, and, and my barrister said, look, this is the way this goes. They cannot be seen to not be giving you anything. Mm-hmm. Because you, they cannot be seen to um, have agreed with your behaviour of going to this man's house, even though you tried to prosecute him a couple of years ago and were told to leave him alone. They can't be seen to be allowing you to just do what you want. Right? Yeah. So they've given you the minimum. It's a slap on the wrist, yep. no criminal record, a £1,000 fine and a restriction order, which, you know, I'm not going to break and I don't care about. Yeah. yeah. So I left that courtroom feeling good. I've done everything I can with regards to this man now. You know, I tried to prosecute him. I've confronted him. I've tried to get him to admit what he did. I've tried to get him on all the monitoring sex offenders registers. I've done every single thing that I can. And that's the result of that. Well, and I think that's important, especially for survivors. Most don't get a day in court. And so what you did and you standing in your truth... Can we just touch on, like, even what your feelings were when you went to your abuser's door and after you did everything, you went through what society tells you to do and how to report it, and you went that route. You didn't get justice. So you really just went to your abuser's door to have a conversation. And I love your post because you take us on that journey and you open up so many different perspectives and you weren't there with the intent to hurt him. And you have every reason to react the way that you that most people wouldn't have done what you would have done and how to handle and they would have handled it different than you. They wouldn't have been going just to have a conversation. So right. what you did was extremely mind boggling because most people want usually I'll turn to um like domestic violence in that situation, or someone might just slip up and accidentally what they might react and just shoot them and just freak out. And, and then it turns to something else. And now that survivor is now doing the crime and it should be the other way around. So society often protects the abusers. And in this situation, the tables turned on you, but then you made it a point to turn it back and say, look, I'm not the criminal and seek justice. So can we just touch on the feelings of when you saw him at 
his door for the first time to then having to go see him in a courtroom. And now that's a whole different reality. Seeing him for the first time face to face, you know, I'm talking like I'm a meter. I'm at arm's length away from him. And when he actually opened the door, once I'd knocked and I saw him and he saw me, it was like the craziest moment. It was the craziest moment. I mean, for me, his face has not changed. He looks exactly the same. Um, And the feelings were intense. But just to touch on the fact that, yes, for people hearing this story the first time, maybe it is a little surprise that I, uh, it it can be surprising that I didn't harm him physically in some way. Mm -hmm. And actually, I knew that once he had denied um, all the accusations and my prosecution attempt failed against him. Really what I was going to the door was for was I felt like how dare he deny it, mm-hmm. right? How dare he deny it? He should, he should have to hear what I've got to say to his face. Yep. And for many people, for that seems crazy, crazy and, and so brave, I agree. I see the bravery in it, but he's just another man. Right. He's just another man. I am actually twice the size of him. So physically, there's no issue. He has, he is no threat to my life right now. The threats that I feel, which I do feel when I see him, that is a manufactured threat in my mind that comes from the child that I was when he was abusing me. Right. That's the child talking. That's not 35-year-old Jeremy talking, mm-hmm. right? He is no threat to me. He is like any other man, you know, that, that, yeah. and that's it. And I knew that. And I, and, I, and I was very confident before I knocked on that door that I would not lose control. Now, I was so confident that I wouldn't lose control that I actually pressed record on my phone before I knocked on the door. Because I wanted to make sure I had a record of what, what or the interaction, just in case when I left the interaction, he decided to make up some story that didn't happen. Now, I nobody is pressing voice record on their phone if they know that they're going there to cause a crime. Yeah. And just to f- finish my point, I would be that would not be sensible at all for me to cause him any physical harm. He will definitely go to the police, and then I'm in trouble with the law. I don't want to put myself in a worse position. Mm-hmm. So all of those things led to me standing at his door, him absolutely panicking. Go away, go away. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what And me just being like, will you calm down? Right. Yeah. And that is how the interaction was. Yeah, and I love that now because so many survivors are not able to prosecute or they end up in a bad situation that now you're kind of taking your story and okay how do we how do we prevent this from happening because now we're in a situation that okay so let's let's hope that some people get prosecuted and let's hope that the stories come out and that there's there's situations where we can start having that these survivors can start having their day in court but let's, I love it because let's get to a point where they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I try to make as much work as I can on this, 
on this. How are we going to stop it from happening? Because when we get our day in court and we get a prosecution, I feel like sometimes we 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 consider that as like a celebration of some sort. And and I get that point. It is a it is a celebration because that particular su- survivor hopefully can get some release from from prose- successfully prosecuting their abuser. And also any prison sentence should. Yes, it can be considered a celebration because that person is then taken out of the community for that small amount of time. Mm-hmm. But the problem we've got is we should not, we want to not even be arriving right. at court or, or prosecution. We, we, we want to be in a situation where we don't need to prosecute anyone because this isn't happening. And I know we, to eliminate it entirely is impossible. And I hate to say that because that seems very, that just doesn't seem like a nice thing to say. but. The aim has to be preventing it from happening before the damage is done. And prevention is a tricky subject because then what what, what do we think? We think about education with children, which everybody agrees with. But then we start talking about, well, what about the people who are feeling tempted Mm -hmm. to do these things and haven't yet committed the crime? What are we going to do about them? Now, there will be lots of responses of the death penalty and castration and this and that. And my view on those are, let's just not waste our time with those suggestions because they're not available to us. Right, right. Yeah? Yeah. Right. They're not available to us. What are we going to do with the people, and there's many people, that feel tempted by Mm -hmm. underage boys and girls? They want help. How are we? What are we going to do with them? Yes, and there, there was a, there was a great. You had a, I think it was five or six piece thing on on uh, Instagram where was like, here's are the scenarios that that make you think. What about this? What about that? And and the one scenario that kind of brings this point is in is there is um, a young man who feels this way has never acted upon this, never wants to act upon it wants to go get help, but knows if they get help, they will get in trouble and they want to go be a doctor. And it was such a well thought out thing because it's, it's stuff where like you're, like you said earlier, people say, oh, well, they should just have the death penalty. How dare they think that way? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Take one very large step back and apply that same theory to drinking and driving. Yes. Um, other things that to drugs and alcohol, whatever it is that we want, that they want help. So we say, oh, what a great job. You came before you hurt anybody. Mm. Why isn't that the same thing? Yes. And the resources for it, as far as like, even if you have a drug or alcohol problem and you go to an AA meeting, you seek therapy and there's different programs that will help you. So it's like, at what point do we as a society make this conversation normalized to where by all means we're not saying pedophilia child abuse none of that is okay we're not justifying it we're not defending the abusers what we're opening the conversation piece is what can we do to with those people who are aroused by children and haven't committed a crime yet who are seeking help and can't explain the failings or what to do with those urges or any of that 
conversation piece, it's like, how do you help those people without them fearing that they're going to get a legal, a legal sentencing because them trying to seek the help? How do we as a society, how can we fix that or even help with those resources? I mean, it's so, so crazy it, it, because it's so it's so difficult for us to get our head around this because we, we feel like if anybody's aroused by children, we hate them, mm-hmm. right? Instantly, we hate them. We don't want them in our society. We don't want them in our community. We don't want them in our neighbourhood. And that is a natural reaction that I think is uh, we should continue with that reaction because it's going yeah. to gonna drive action, right? right? However, if they've never committed a crime before if they've never committed the crime they're not a criminal they're innocent they are they are innocent because they haven't committed a crime yeah Yeah. right so we can't put them in jail for thoughts first of all right Mm -hmm. now i'm not saying that every person that is aroused by children wants help i'm not saying that they're all people who want to change i'm sure there is a there is a wide variety of personalities Mm -hmm. of people that are aroused by children so for the percentage that do want the help that are struggling with it right they 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 resist it the best they can what and but they want help if we can if we can ensure prevention with some of those that is one step towards preventing children from being abused and we have to take that. It's just getting people's head around that. You know, when I write, when I release those posts, now and again, I get a post saying that I'm trying to normalise paedophilia. And that's not, that's not the pop, that, that's a misunderstanding of my work. I'm trying to normalise our conversation around paedophilia. I'm trying to get people to accept that there are countless people in our neighbourhoods and societies that get aroused by underage children. It's more norm. It's more common than we could ever imagine, right? Could yeah. ever imagine. And, and and actually, just before we started recording, we wanted to talk about this. At what age does it? Because is it weird for? And we'll, and we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But what we need to accept is there are many older adults that find younger younger people and underage people attractive mm-hmm. and what how how are we going to get them to see that they must not act on that temptation or that urge it's important well and and we had uh Yako Boyens on a couple of months ago and he talks about the the power of porn which I know we're going to get into that and the idea like my favorite analogy that he does is the train track that as humans, sexuality is is what we do. That's that's normal. That's how it is. And as you're going down that train track, if you get off on stop number three, which is like softcore porn or things like that, okay, great. That's that whatever. But then you that doesn't ever stop there. Now you're going down, and now you're going into you get off at stop ten, and and now that's hardcore porn. Oh, that's not doing it for you anymore. Okay, well, now instead of them being your age, now you're looking at people that are younger. And now you're looking at people that are younger. And that, again, to your point, doesn't mean that you are now going to go rape a child. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you're going to do that. But you may get to a point now where you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now I know I have a problem. And it started off, I'll say innocence, not innocent, but innocently enough, 
Yeah. That it's now, it, it didn't get you aroused. And so it's gotten worse and worse and worse. Those are the sort of people I think that we speak about where, oh, now I'm attracted. Oh, I see that girl at the mall that's 15 and she was in my porn video and that's really cool. And you're like, what am I doing? I'm 45 years old. Yes. How do we help that? Yeah. And two, I want to bounce off of that really quick is I think our generation and society as a whole has been desensitized to pedophilia and the just even through the entertainment industry and the culture of music and it's where rape culture is glorified even in your disney shows and so it's like we often get attacked for speaking out and say you guys are even opening this conversation piece you're justifying or promoting and trying to normalize pedophilia it's like no do you sit and watch five to ten minutes of the music that you are allowing your child to listen to while you're in the car talking about wet ass pussy and all of those songs and even songs like savage and all of those all of those rap songs and that whole culture is tied even into the movies nowadays and disney shows and So just listen to five to ten minutes of your kids' shows as well as the lyrics to your music. Really tune into that frequency and learn and understand what they're talking about. And as a society, we've normalized that to be okay. We've normalized things like OnlyFans where now you have... Now you're starting kids off young with cell phones, not showing them the dark side of it, not having those conversation pieces, and even the gaming systems. Next thing you know, they're talking to older people, and they're not telling you. They just found a friend. In their eyes, it's a friend. Somebody's listening to me. And that whole conversation could have been prevented in the beginning by just having a conversation of body awareness and even the darkness of the web and the education piece of it. So I think as a society, we're lacking the awareness of grooming. We're lacking the awareness of even in your family, what that could look like and being touched inappropriately or that drunk uncle or aunt. So Before we go into the next conversation, really just sit and listen as we have these different conversations and open the perspective of even at what age does it become too weird that a man is watching porn? Yeah, it's... It starts to become mind-baffling when you start thinking about the music videos, the young shows, the the gaming industry, mm-hmm. um, the the you know even just the live chats on 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 these young people's games are open for anybody to approach anybody. It starts to become baffling and 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 it starts to become overwhelming. It seems, and for me, the solution or or to to ease that overwhelming feeling, the solution is just to to make sure that your your children are fully educated on what they could possibly come across on the internet and teach them how to um, judge the content that they're watching. I mean, music videos nowadays, um, they would have been um, considered soft porn back in the 90s. They wouldn't have been allowed on national TV, you know? They wouldn't have been allowed on any of the shows 
that's for sure. Um, but but it, we kind of every the industry has gone that way, uh, and and I don't I, we're not going to be able to stop the industry, but we can teach our twelve year olds, ten year olds, that kind of age where they're very impressionable. Um, that to to learn how to judge whether that content is good for them or not. That 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 we should we should do that also. Um, so yeah yeah. That's what I've got to say about that. Well, too, even going back to the what age is it weird for a man yes. to watch porn, that conversation yeah. piece, like, I always go back to even your latest posts. What if that was your daughter? Even how you're talking to yeah. women, what if that was your daughter? And would you want that for your daughter? And how does that make you feel? So things like OnlyFans has even normalized even sugar daddies have normalized the conversation of it's okay for an underage girl to even be approached because nowadays the young girls are wearing fake eyelashes and full on makeup and they look a lot older. So they, the males are really looking at the 15, 16 year olds and not even thinking, oh my gosh, her age. They're just aroused by the figure and the female body, but forgetting to dis the disassociation of that girl's age. And then you look at it and you're like, oh my God, that's, that could be my daughter. And then you feel disgusted. Or granddaughter. Yeah. Or granddaughter. (laughs) So this is, this is why I wrote those two posts i know the ones you're you're referring to the first one is what at what age does it become weird that you're watching teen porn which is 18 and 19 year olds having sex which is legal right Mm -hmm. and the second one you're referring to is um do you talk about girls in a way you'd hate another man to talk about your daughter now these are two areas I think the summary of those two areas is trying to get men to think about their behavior, mm-hmm. right? I think that that's the summary of it because you can watch teen porn. It's completely legal. It's right. above the age of consent, 18 right. and 19 year olds. That's how they're pushing it on their site anyway. Um, and, and so my question is, if a 40 year old is watching that, is that a bit weird you know, a 40-year-old watching an 18-year-old, because I'm 36 and I consider 80, an 18-year-old to be a child. If you if you have a conversation with an 18-year-old at my age, you are having a conversation with a child. Mm-hmm. So then is it weird that you watch that type of material? I just wanted to put the question out there. And, and then the other one, the other post, do you talk about girls in a way you'd hate another man to talk about your daughter? I hope every man what read that and was stunted on what to say because every man does it right but is it right no it's not because you would hate another man to speak about um uh, 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 your daughter in the way that men when they're sitting around stereotypically sitting around a table sharing a beer talk about girls so that i'm trying now I feel like my work is starting to branch out into different areas. Mm -hmm. And I feel like questioning the cultures and the the way men are behaving around sex is something that I feel is important to start speaking about. Yeah, even talking about your other one that just caught my eye the other day was the England law. 
and your video on yeah. the man yeah. that's with a 16 year old. Yes. Yes. And you that, explain that, that one better. What if it was a few days sooner than 16, you're illegal, yeah. but now she's yes. 16 in a day and now yes. she's not, what is the difference? Yeah. yeah, so that was uh, what I was trying to get at there, which I knew every, everybody in America, because your age of consent is 18, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I knew that would throw people as well, because that highlights that we've got a planet here where we have various ages of consent. Yeah. So here in England, you can sleep with a, uh, you can you can be of any age and you can sleep with a 16-year-old and it be legal. But in your country, that seems madness. But I know that there are some countries where the age of consent is 21. But I know there are some some countries where the age of consent is lower. So yeah. straight away, I knew that that would cause some emotions in people. But the summary of that video is, if a 40-year-old gets with a 16-year-old here in England, the law says it's okay. Mm -hmm. But we don't like that as people, mm -mm. right? We don't right. like that as no. people. We, if you saw a 40-year-old and they brought their date to dinner and she was 16, we would not like daughter. that. Yeah, yeah, we would not like that. However, you can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But what we would try to do with that man is sit him down and get him to see sense. Right. Or get him to evaluate what's you know, we, we, we want him to stop that behavior so we would work with that guy right we are happy to work with that guy and in fact we hope that the government would support that with various services so that's with the 40 year old dating a 16 year old right yeah. that could be from her 16th birthday Right mm -hmm. then, it's, then, then in the eyes of the law, we're okay. But as people, as I mentioned, we don't like it. We want somebody professional to sit that man down. Now, if we just go 24 hours before that 16th birthday, now that girl is one day before her 16th birthday. She's 15 and 364 days old. Right. Now, the law says it's not okay. Yep, yeah, because we understand. Now, now she's underage. But us as people, our attitude changes now. Because now we hate that person. Yeah. We want nothing to do with that person. We want to push them into, a, into the corner, turn the light out on them and never hear from them again. Yes. Mm -hmm. So my question is, what, what kind of attitude is that towards prevention? We're just hoping that because we're so angry with that person, they're going to wake up the next morning and be like, oh my God, everyone's so angry with me. I'm going to stop doing this. Like, that's, not, not that's, not, that's not realistic, yeah. right? But a minute ago... We were okay with support services helping the 40-year-old yeah. with the 16-year-old, which is legal in England. Right. One day before, when she's 15, we don't want anything to do with that guy. Where, where's the prevention? Right. Mm -hmm. Where's the aim of prevention? I'm not saying that you're going to prevent everybody or change everybody's mind, but where's the aim of prevention? For some reason, we lose it. Yeah. I mm -hmm. feel like that's the wrong attitude. I agree. And just even having a general conversation, what would you say to the parents and those listening who say, no, this couldn't happen to my child or no, not my child, or I don't want to have these conversations because they're too young. I don't want to ruin their innocence. But then you have countries like where you're at, where your child, that is legal to be approached by a 40-year-old man. And, yeah. and they might go behind your back and you might not know. Yeah. And my answer to any parent saying that would never happen to my child, my answer to that is, does your child like compliments? Does your child like gifts? 
Because if they like both of those two things, then online they could potentially be groomed. And all the games and all the social media accounts, they're all open for anybody to approach anybody. So if you've got a 15-year-old daughter and you don't think that she's going to enjoy compliments about beauty and aesthetics and encouraging words about her pictures, everybody knows that a 15-year-old daughter would in, would like that and be be uh, give that attention. Yeah. And that person could be posing as another 15-year-old boy or an 18-year-old boy or a 70, around that age group, and then they have a chance with grooming your child. It's the same with boys. It's the mm-hmm. same with boys. Let's take, as for an example, let's take a nine-year-old boy. They're playing Minecraft or Roblox. I think, yeah, Minecraft or Roblox, yep. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. That's an My open platform. My play all the time, so yeah. Right? That's mm-hmm. an open platform. They've got chat boxes in those games. How about they get sent some coins? And they get told that it's bought by another 10-year-old boy and they sent the coins because they play the game really interestingly, mm. right? So so your children are always open, open. And, and if you don't want to educate them, then all you're doing is leaving them naive mm-hmm. and, and, and not aware of what could potentially happen. So you're not giving them the tools and the knowledge to fend for themselves in the arena of the internet. Right, because you're not around when they're on the internet, right? You're not you're not in the room, first of all, but you're not logged on to the game that they're playing. So even if they're in the lounge with you while they're playing the game, you are not with them in the internet right. arena. Right. Right. So if you haven't given them the weapons to defend themselves, then they are defenseless mm-hmm. against these people. Well, and I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, please. Um and I, I, my boys are 11 and 13, and they play those games all the time. And I can imagine why parents are not wanting to be in there because those are really dumb games. Yep. But um, to your point, like we, I talk to them all the time. You can't, like, you can't chat with other people. Now they do chat with their friends from school, and they know each other. That that's a different situation. But a lot of times, my my older, and I shouldn't say a lot of times, a few times, my older son um, will come to me. He's like, "Oh, I was someone talked to me." on wherever and but they were just they were friendly and I was like but you don't know that that person isn't a 40 year old guy mm-hmm. like and so we'll have that coming okay well what did they say oh they were just saying that they liked my house okay w- what about and and he and they know because I do this that that's not acceptable you can't talk and I just ignored them or I did whatever but I always reiterate you don't know that that person is another 14-year-old yeah. boy or a 10-year-old boy or whatever. You don't know any of that because you don't see it. We also talk about they'll go on and they'll watch YouTube or they'll watch uh, TikTok videos on YouTube because they don't have TikTok. But they'll say, oh, I watched this video where this person did blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, let's just stop a second and think about the probability of that thing actually happening. Oh, yeah. yeah, that probably wouldn't happen. Right. So we can't be believing everything everything we see on the internet just because it's on the internet. Could you go and edit that and make it look that, that way? Yeah, you probably could. Okay, <laughs> could you... And one of the things that's coming to mind that's really stupid is this guy had a grill in and he didn't realize it wasn't glued on. And so he took it off and his teeth were bright white. And I said, and I said to my son, again, it's like an irrelevant thing, but I said to him, I was like, you have a retainer now. Think of how much spit gets in your retainer. 
do you think if you took it off after five years that your teeth would be white? He's like, no. Okay, so why do you believe it was that way somewhere else? Oh. And so it's just conversations like that, to your point, they need to be ready for the arena that they're going to be fighting in. Mm-hmm. We we were stranger danger and no drugs, which is still important, but it's not as important as what is happening to them online. And we as parents have got to remember, what was it like when we were 15 and 16 and 17? That hasn't changed. Yeah. You still don't know what you're doing. You still want to impress everybody. You still want to do all these things. It's just not in person. It's online. Same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Same. And speaking about production and all the in- illustrations and everything that you got going on, if we can go into your journey now, because you've been super transparent about that. You've taken us on your journey to even pitching your story and taking it to theater. If we can go into that and that process. So I am so keen and eager to get uh, this subject communicated using art of some form, Mm -hmm. Um, creative, engaging story um, telling. And one of those ideas that I've had, that I've always had, is theatre. So what I did was I put a brief idea based on my story uh, together and I sent it to every single theatre company that I could find online in London. It must have been like 200 companies. And one came back and said they would love to produce the theatre. So I had a meeting with them. This was a couple of months ago now. I had a meeting with them and we just brainstormed ideas. And it just seems like such a fantastic, fantastic idea. Now, something that I'm going to post about soon if I don't hear from them again, probably in the next couple of weeks, is they've gone quiet on me, which is such a shame because it was such great discussions. Mm -hmm. Now, I just want to talk about this for a moment because in the three years I've been doing this, I've I've been in contact with so many people that get so excited with my proposal. But it just seems that like once we talked about it a few times and the reality hits, they Mm -hmm. shy away. And I'm starting to ask answer, why... There's a common pattern here. There's a pattern here that when it starts to become the reality of it or or we get to the real real meat of the the, the creativity, they shy away. And why is that? Is is it because people get scared? Mm -hmm. Is it because people get scared to report or do anything with this subject? And I think there is a fear. And what is the fear? Why is there that fear there? Because it's important. Nobody denies that. It's going to be successful. Nobody denies that. If you put a theatre production on that explains how the life of a survivor unfolds, you can market that very, very well. Mm -hmm. Very well. It would definitely be successful. But I feel like people are frightened and scared. And I I don't know how to... uh, The reasons exactly why. I can see it, though. So the theatre production, I've still got my fingers crossed for it. But if it doesn't work out with them, I'm going to send the emails out again. No problem. But in addition to that, I am also in, t- in, in trying to, and at the moment, putting together short films, putting together short videos, attacking this subject from all different angles. Last month, I released one called Flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And the driver for that was the amount of times I have heard people say that they, they, they look forward to the time that you can get over it and move on. 
And, and I get where that comes from. I feel like it comes from if you get, if you say that you are over it and you move on, then people don't feel so bad that you went through that. Thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and then people are like, oh, he's not suffering anymore. We, it's okay. Thank goodness for that. That's not, that's not the reality. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I don't think people understand the severity of flashbacks and how flashbacks can behave. And I, and I hope that that spoke to people who have flashbacks of all sorts of childhood traumatic experiences. I work with film people on these projects. I work with editors on this project. I'm trying my best to be creative and engaging and try. My, my target audience are people who don't have any link to the subject. Right. Yeah. Right. That's my target audience. I can make great content for other survivors, which I do do because I want to and it's necessary, but I'm trying to do it in a way that appeals to people who come across the work for the first time and will watch it till the end, number one, and not be frightened or too uncomfortable from it. And afterwards we'll be like, oh my God, I've never thought about that before. Right. And what I found in our work is that it's not that people don't know about it, It's not that they um, don't want it to be fixed and all that stuff. What I found is that if you know about it to the level that Mm -hmm. you should, you have to do something about it. And people don't want to take on that responsibility. It's that idea of if I look at the missing children thing or if I go look for the missing dog, then I've got to go out and look for the dog. But if I just pretend I don't see it, oh, well, I didn't know that there was a missing dog. I don't have anything to do with it. Because even in my family, it's not that they don't believe in what I do. Because they do. They think that, oh, it's so good that you're doing that. My mom literally will say, I don't want to hear about it. Because that makes her have to be responsible for knowing, understanding, and then standing up for it. And that's where so many people are like, nope, I, I just, I just too much. I don't want to hear about it. You don't want to hear about it, not because it's such a sad subject, although it is and it's horrible and people should not have to go through it. You don't want to have to now be responsible for doing something about it. And that's where it's like, how do you get people to a place where they have to be or they should be or you want them to be? And maybe it's not for everybody to fight, but you can't pretend it doesn't exist because that's how we've gotten the world has gotten the way it is right now is because we've pretended nothing exists and we all hope it goes away. But that's what I think the biggest one of the biggest things is, is that people just don't want to be responsible for fixing the problem. It's a fantastic point. And even right now, it's as more things are coming to light, you people would rather throw money at it and think that somebody else is handling it. And now that so much is coming to light from the politicians to the uh, the corporations and even like your favorite celebrities and idols. Now you're, you see people getting that gut check and you're like, oh my gosh, I supported that person. I threw money at it. And so now you see people pulling back that dollar. And going into that, I want to touch on even in the line of work that we do with advocating and working with survivors, how can we support, not only support survivors, But how can we normalize giving survivors the funding to create projects like you're doing because you had a great job in engineering and you gave all that up and you literally used all your own money and are putting that and investing in the projects that you're doing to 
give us the proper education and see it from a survivor standpoint and give us what it really is, what life looks like as a survivor and going from your childhood and being vulnerable in the childhood trauma even till now. And I know that's one thing that we often talk about is why is it that somebody will give an organization or a celebrity any amount of money that they can afford, even if they can't afford it, they will still figure out a way to buy that hot item and whatever. But when it comes to a survivor, and if a survivor posts, I need money to for this project or for food or somewhere to lay my head at night because of the tactics and everything that you guys get coming forward, why is it that society pushes back and then attacks you guys for collecting money or even that being a thing. And so then when we are like, so how can we do it from the position that we're in and give and raise money and give to those survivors where we know where it's going to? Yet so many turn a blind eye to the pedophilia and child abuse and everything happening to the child. But here you have a survivor just Now they're older and they're like, hey, this happened to me as a kid. Let me help educate you. But yet you won't support it. So how can we fix that as a society or from a survivor standpoint? I feel like as more people speak out, which I feel like that's happening. I've got no actual like numbers for that. But I just feel like that's what's happening. Um, I feel that people are going to realize that how common this is how often this is has been happening and is still happening i feel like the more survivors speak out with podcasts like yours and tv shows and getting on the news that the the people are going to appreciate the severity of this Mm -hmm. the more survivors speak out about how it's affected their lives i feel like then maybe we can just turn turn the corner on this because yes you're right people are so happy to uh donate their money or to buy things from people but then when it comes to this subject you know people people don't want to but also included in that this whole podcast thing this whole making a name for yourself online it's it's a it's a new thing in the in the grand scheme of things Mm -hmm. and we think that the uh, the content we consume on YouTube, the, the podcasts we listen to on Spotify, etc., they were made somewhere for free, right? You know? Yeah, but uh, but they were not. E- even if even if that person is making it um, without making any money, they paid for a subscription on Zoom. They yeah. paid for microphones. They paid. They put time into editing. That it all has to be put on every platform. You pay for a logo design. Like it all costs money, but people are not realizing that. Yeah. Yeah. People are not realizing that because it hasn't been, well, they just don't know. Um, And we just consume that content for free. So that is why over the last three months, I've noticed that when I launched my donation page on my website six months ago, I noticed that that was what was happening. And then I actually, quite I actually pointed the finger at myself and I'm like oh my goodness I've been watching people on YouTube that have had incredible influences on my life and I haven't given them anything mm-hmm. so I I can see how that happens but what I did do was read their book and I bought it right mm-hmm. and what I did do was actually I subscribed to that to their podcast which is exclusively on a platform like Audible mm-hmm. yeah. so 
I looked at that and I was like, ah, well, then that's the direction I have to go. That's the direction I have to move this thing because mm-hmm. you have to monetize it. Otherwise, it cannot continue and it cannot improve. So when I started to discuss on my platform about monetizing it and my monetizing ideas are merchandise with my logo on them and the slogans that I use on my YouTube channel, launching a podcast soon, trying to monetize YouTube and by views and watch watch hours, donations, of course, and possibly having some exclusive content. So like behind the scenes content Mm -hmm. or Q&A content. And I got a couple of comments from people being like, oh, you're trying to glamorize your story and you're trying to monetize it. Yes, I am trying to monetize it, right? Because Mm -hmm. it is not, to support myself, to support my life so I can continue helping people, I need to create funds, right? So I feel like we don't need to, I feel like, and this is an absolute guess again, but I feel like we don't need to worry too much about this because the big players are starting to move over to platforms that are subscription-based. Lots of people have merchandise and people are doing like, you get the first hour of the podcast for free and then for the rest you have to pay $2.99. The problem, the big problem with our subject for that is, we don't want money to be the reason why you cannot listen to this information. Right. right. And that's what we've so how struggled with. how do we get around with. that? I don't have the answer. That's what we've struggled with because since even talking to you in our first podcast, Becky, Emma, and myself have now created Standby Survivors Organization. So now we've created a business out of it and we already know that the minute that we post that and launch it, people are going to say, oh, you're trying to monetize and profit off of survivor stories and the content. And it's like, no, if you sit and listen and what we're trying to do, our thing is we want to be that middle person for the survivor so it doesn't so they don't get attacked because you guys are constantly attacked. So if we have to be the first ones you throw punches at, then whatever, so be it. And for us, it's we want to be able to raise the funds to start to make a change in society, whether it be safe houses, whether it be giving money that exclusive merchandise or content where we make with you. And we then give that those funds to you and we share the and do profit sharing and all of that. And whether that way we're supporting our community and all of our projects. And so we also then look at too of we've been offered and I'm sure you've been offered and putting your story out there by multiple people and different organizations or people and in connecting with them. And for us at the end of the day, we always go back to our faith and then we go back to our brand. Is it something that aligns with all of us? And we don't want what we're doing and our vision for it to be altered. And we don't want it to change and someone else to have control over what we can and can't do and control our content or say, oh, you work with this organization or this person, you can't work with so-and-so. We don't want that. When we first had the vision, we wanted a place for all of survivors as everyone is battling something and everyone has their own trauma and going through something. So everyone is a survivor of something and they everyone has a story and every voice matters. So for us, that's one thing that we struggled with was just putting that out and even starting the business of knowing the pushback we're going to get because of 
society. And but then you look at it and then you tell people, but you pay three, four hundred dollars to go see your favorite entrepreneur tell you how to be successful when really I could tell you to get your shit together and, <laughs> and for free. For free. <laughs> like go inside and do your own healing, but yet you're gonna pay someone three, four hundred dollars for a retreat or a weekend stay or exclusive content for them to tell you like, hey, you need to lose weight. Hey, you need to get on track. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can go to YouTube, yeah. do that for free, but because it doesn't have that society name celebrity label on it it's like people aren't going to support it and it's like no we're small we're small podcasts and your content you're creating like it's sad to see that so many people profit off of the survivors so for us we're like no we want to change that the survivors need to be able to create their own content and tell their story without uh, mainstream media once they finally start to talk about it, try to flip it and make them look like they're the bad person and even social media. So it's like, as a society, we really need to stop turning a blind eye and step up and start supporting and standing by the survivors. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I think whatever we do, whatever decision you make, uh, we we will always have a percentage of people that will put the comment in there that they don't mm-hmm. like it or accuse accuse of something that they just ha- that is just a complete misunderstanding. I've I've learned that through this. Uh, I, as long as the majority of the feedback is good, then you know you're moving in the right direction. I put a video out yesterday, um, which I don't know when this podcast is going out. So that was Monday, the 6th of December. I put a video out yesterday saying, uh, and I titled it, The Gift and the Curse of My Childhood Sexual Abuse. And I received a couple of messages and a couple. there's a comment on there just saying, um, how dare you talk about it like there's a gift from it and 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 I'm not angry at that person because maybe I question their belief about their experience but it's this is my view and I'm trying to encourage and I'm trying to squeeze some good out of the experience and I see that when I push the boundaries a little bit like this that you're not going to be able to please everybody mm-hmm. you are never going to be able to please everybody and you're going to have some people that just don't like your work but they're still following but yep, they yep, will be yeah. they will continue to comment so yeah, I suppose red, you live red free in their head <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. you just got to take these punches on the chin I think yeah. and we, look we are we are at a stage where we're kind of paving the way for the future generations yep. I really feel like we are. I really do. I really feel like we are paving the way for the future generations. So if we can somehow monetize this and do it in an honest and truthful way with good intentions, um, then when the teenagers, the young children, well, let's go back a little further than that. The children that this is happening to right now, in 10 years' time, they're going to start realizing what happened to them and wanting to make change. They're going to look at us as inspiration. And that is not me being egotistic. That's me being goal, actually just me dreaming big. Because that would be incredible if we can inspire the younger generations and pave the way for them. Well, we already are. We already are because, like, even, like, we have our children and they see what we're doing. And they're then going to their school and they're learning to question things and stand up and speak the truth and knowing it's okay to give that pushback. It's okay to defend these things and 
to have your opinion and have a voice. And so I think we're seeing it now and what we're doing is it's a new avenue and we're creating what we want it to look like and set it with the good intentions and giving everyone the knowledge of what so many aren't prepared for mentally. And I think when you have to face and stop turning a blind eye and actually doing something about it, the hardest pill to swallow is that ego check and knowing that you have to face your childhood trauma and your inner triggers and what happened to you and see that reflection of yourself. And that could be pretty scary and ugly to a lot of people and it's very uncomfortable. But we have to get there as a society because that's the only way we're going to change the future and save the children for future generations as well. Yep, I agree completely. I feel like we are. I mean, like you said earlier, you don't have data to prove that, but you just can kind of feel that more and more people are starting to dig inside and be like, I don't want to be this way anymore. Or I don't want my kids to grow up the way I grew up. Or I don't want society to be this way. So it's a slow move. And some days you walk into society and you go, nope, nothing's happening. (laughs) But then you start looking and seeing other people and you're like, yes, we are absolutely making a dent. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. So motivating, so encouraging. I love it. Same. I love even everything coming to light. Most people wouldn't be like celebrating at the headlines as stuff is coming out. And we're like, yes, finally, (laughs) society's catching up. Like we knew about that a long time ago, but finally society's catching up. But it also creates opportunity then for people to then turn to our pages and learn more content as far as what's now world news. But even to, I want to go back on really quick before we wrap up is know that if you cannot support with money, just do know that even supporting survivors or truth tellers, anyone podcasting, it does not cost anything to hit a like button, a comment button, a share, tag, however you want to do that. It does not cost anything. So if you could do one thing, that's one thing that we're going to ask. And I know personally, that's one thing that I push, especially in the world of censorship and the content that we're talking about isn't always the bright topics. It gets pretty dark and it can be a lot. So just know that as you're taking in this content, if you need to take a break, you need a pause, really sit back and honor those emotions you're feeling and sit with it and see what comes up in your own trauma, in your own, with those emotions. And you will see yourself grow as well through this journey and walking through the journey with survivors and really just having an opening mind, heart, and listening to what they're truly saying. So again, we truly appreciate you coming back and having these conversations with us. I know that you inspire us all the time with your content and we appreciate the conversations you're having as well online. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me on again. I look forward to the next time we speak and and just to check in and see how each other are moving. I really feel like we can really do something special. I really, really honestly do. Um, So look, I just really enjoyed the conversation and, and thank you so much. Thank you. And again, we will make sure to link all of Jeremy's website and social media handles and all his links to the content in our show notes. And again, thank you for even joining us for the conversation today. And as always, survivors, we see you, we hear you, we stand by you, sending you love, light and blessings.